Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, allegations, injunctions and innuendo. As politicians and celebrities are doing their best to stay out of the press, who knew what on Fleet Street? And while the internet exists, can anything stay secret anymore? Plus, planning ahead for Saturday Night Hits this Christmas, we discuss morale at the BBC, changes to what counts as local at London Live and a top prize of a to play for in this week's media quiz. That's all coming up on this edition of the Media Podcast. And joining me at the salubrious hospital club in London's Covent Garden this week uh, is none other than the return of the latch. Uh, it is former tabloid journalist Tom Latch, and welcome back to the show, Tom. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad I didn't disgrace myself the last time round, but, you know, there's an hour to go, so we shall see. <laughs> it's all to play for. Uh, now, last time we spoke, of course, mm. I was in possession of my own speech-based radio show... <laughs> And you were just a hack. How the tables have turned. They they, they can do. That's media. Yeah, I've been shoved off LBC for Katie fucking Hopkins. And you, (laughs) you are now on Talk Sport. I am indeed on Talk Sport. Yeah, I've got the the big overnight show on Saturday nights. The Uh, one everyone's listening to. uh, Sunday mornings. Extra time from midnight till till, 6 uh, 6 (laughs) a.m. 6. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun. It's great. I'm really enjoying it. I've been doing it for six weeks now, uh, seven weeks. I've been standing in for a few people as well. The two mics I stood in for on in the midweek overnights and having a great time. Really learning loads. It's it's. I've been trying to become a radio presenter for you'll know for for quite a few years now, and um, I'm still trying, obviously. Uh, yeah. But I've now got a show. So no, good work. Very exciting. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, also joining us this week from uh, our sister podcast, the fabulous broadcast talking TV. Uh, it is Broadcast Magazine's Jake Cantor. Hello. Thank you. That's very kind. I haven't got a radio gig yet, though, unfortunately. It's only no. a matter of time, Jake. Well, <laughs> things move quickly and fluidly in this world. Uh, what have you been up to this week? Uh, it's been a busy old week. Um, I think, uh, well, I was following uh, yesterday's uh, session in Parliament very closely where BBC diversity was discussed for the first time ever on the, on the uh, floor of the House. Yeah. Um, and but still right no the, conclusion, right? <laughs> well, there's a, there is a lot of hot air about diversity, um, but it does feel like things are genuinely moving in the right direction and something will be written into the BBC's charter. Um, Do you think, it, you think they're going to get quotas? For I don't AMA think they'll set? get quotas. There's all kinds of different views on how the BBC and other broadcasters, I should add, ITV's got a tough time this week as well, how they should all move forward on this issue. They've all got different strategies. Um, I think some 
some some togetherness would be helpful and hopefully the cultural diversity network which is sort of responsible for all this across the broadcasting industry um, will step up its efforts when it launches a sort of monitoring system later this year. I guess the fact that it is actually being discussed for the first time in the House of Commons is a step forward. Yeah, it's, it's really positive. And I should add that it culminated in a nice little nugget at the end from uh, Culture Minister Ed Vasey, who said for the first time that uh, the BBC White Paper on Charter O'Neill is going to be published next month. There you go. Uh, right. Uh, now, as a regular listener to the media <laughs> podcast, I bet you've got a very good working knowledge of Culture Secretary John Whittingdale. The name's constantly on your lips. Uh, but I think it's fair to say he is, uh, of all the cabinet ministers, one who largely does keep out of the national headlines, uh, at least until this forthcoming referendum on Europe anyway. Uh, so it's perhaps with some surprise uh, that you may have noticed uh, that news of his private life was leading the breakfast bulletins on the Today programme this week and pretty much every other news outlet as well. The journalist James Cusick had been investigating the story Uh, that John Whittingdale had had a relationship with a sex worker uh, for five months before The Independent closed. Uh, The allegation that was never published whilst The Independent was still published as a paper uh, was that John Whittingdale had been left open to potential blackmail. Uh, There's a lot to discuss here, isn't there? Um, Let's just go straight for the jugular, though, uh, by which I mean Tom Latcham. Mm. And Tom, is this a cover-up by the tabloid press? No. Why? I knew, uh, I was working at The People in 2013, the back end of 2013, when they were looking at this story, and I knew the, I know I'm very good, I'm quite close with the photographer who got the the photographs that you'll have seen uh, in the in the media subsequently of John Whittingdale with the uh, with the dominatrix in question. And I said, oh, that's a good story, are you going to do it? Um, and they went, there's no public interest, he's a single man. At that time, he says that he didn't know that she was a, a sex worker, and as soon as he did, he split up with her. And I've spoken to people who know him uh, quite well, and they say that is true. Whether or not it is, you know, we might see in the, in the coming weeks. But if you do take him on face value, there isn't a story there, particularly post Leveson. I, I, I sort of disagree. I think I can't believe that this is not in the public interest. There's sort of sal- how is it salacious public story? You know, is it salacious? Story. Single man goes out with a woman who no, look, happens I, to be a prostitute. But even if, if she, even having, if he knew she were a prostitute, is that a story? I don't know. I, I'm. I, you should look. think I should go with this and say <laughs> this is because I'm a tabloid man. But actually, you know what? I think if you look at it, I'm not sure that it is in the public interest. And certainly, what Byline was saying is, oh, it may be opening him up to blackmail. Did it or didn't it? Because if it didn't, then it isn't in the public interest. There was a lot of supposition in that piece, and I think some of it was quite overblown, actually. But I think, I, I agree, it's, cl- it's clearly a consensual relationship, but the fact that a government minister um, is, is in a relationship with a sex worker and didn't know about it, that is interesting, no? It may be interesting, I mean, I think but that's not that, what public I, I interest is. That, it may be interesting baffling. to the he, public, well, but is, that is not he, what the public interest is. The classic is. debate about the definition of public interest but why and do I we should not really we should be swapped on this yeah. by the way this really <laughs> he, really so he dated, this, he dated this woman for seven months and didn't know that she was a sex worker Probably now that not. either suggests that he's lying or he's completely ignorant uh, most of the public don't know who he is even now uh, even after this week of tabloid uh, you know discussion certainly they wouldn't have known who he was a week ago and you know two years ago uh, it's it, some people are saying the reason is nothing to do with lack of public interest events it's actually that it's a non-story because no one knows who John Whitting well, people said oh Rex Newmark he wasn't a he wasn't a, a, a his uh, cabinet minister to why was people, he, he was the Tory MP who exposed himself on to a to- so a person he thought was Snapchat, a Tory was a Tory sort of uh, activist supporter, yeah. but wasn't was just a sort of see, it was a reporter run by Guido Fawkes but he 
exposed himself and sent photos of, of someone who wanted to be, get involved in the Conservative Party politics, and he abused that trust between uh, you know a Conservative uh, MP and uh, an activist, even though she didn't exist. But you know what I mean. Um, so that you can say is there is a public interest in that. Single man goes out with woman. No, I don't see it. But I've seen newspapers defending stories about Jeremy Corbyn's son being on Tinder and saying that that's in the public interest. Well, and that's nonsense too. (laughs) Well, let's let's assume that you're right, Tom, and Mm. there is absolutely no public interest and this isn't a cover-up by the press. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, you know, newspapers, if something is good enough and strong enough, will perhaps take a hit on it. And an an example of this, which I can name and we can discuss without fear of of reprisals, is a story that I did on Peter Crouch when I was at the News of the World back in 2010, 2011. He slept with a uh, teenage prostitute uh, while he was in a stag, on a stag do in Madrid. We were hunting for a public interest defence and eventually the decision was made, above my head I must say, let's run the story and if, and if, he, if he does sue us for public interest, for breaching his, uh, his privacy, then we'll, we may well have to pay out. But that was a decision that they decided was worth taking. So you make the parallel because it seems like that's a decision they were happy to make in the case of the celebrity yeah. injunction we're about to talk about in a second. Uh, but weren't prepared to make in the case of Whittingdale. Yeah. And for, and, that, and, and, and you know and for the reason that perhaps and he you know is... What? Things might have changed. This was, pr- this was prior to Leveson, of course. And I know, for instance, there's an exa- uh, another example. Just this week, uh, a, a friend of mine, a contact of mine, said they had a story on a uh, former Premier League star uh, turned pundit who had been uh, going behind the back of his, um, his current partner. And none of the papers would touch it. And so... That does suggest that there is the chilling effect of Leveson inverting commas, whether that's a bad thing or you know a good thing. There is some effect that Leveson has had on the way that papers operate. Okay, let's talk about that celebrity injunction in just a second. Finally, mm. though, Jake, I want to ask you the same question: Do you think it's plausible what is being said about Whittingdale? Do you think it is plausible that all these papers had this story and chose not to run it because of who he is, not because there's no public interest? I don't think it's a dark conspiracy, but. I do think that John Whittingdale is a useful culture secretary for the national newspapers. Mm. Um, he advocates light-touch regulation and despises the BBC. And you, know, you add those two things up and you get a, a broadly unshackled press and a, and, a, and a smaller rival, a smaller commercial rival. OK, let's uh, move on from the world of light-touch regulation and into uh, what we can more usefully call a three-in-a-bed romp, uh, which was the alleged story... Uh, that the Daily Mail and The Sun have both run front-page splashes about. But, of course, instead of running the story, they've run front-page splashes saying that they can't run the story and that an injunction is preventing them from naming anybody involved in this particular sexual encounter. Uh, The Mail's argument hinged on the information being widely reported abroad and available online. Uh, Although Google has actually since removed links to websites which identify the people who are allegedly involved. Tom, Mm -hmm. does this pass the public interest test? Uh, not really. It seems to me to be little more than titillation. And actually, I, I don't know. Again, this would be a good test of whether newspapers are, uh, you know, going back to the Witto story, whether newspapers are really committed to public uh, to public interest uh, journalism. Whether the celebrity in general had gone down the route of saying not an injunction because an injunction increases the interest around this, and then also because said celebrity is big in other parts of the world the celebrity injunction doesn't work there whether they'd have actually said uh, enlisted a lawyer a top lawyer which of course they can afford to say 
this is not in the public interest. We have never portrayed ourselves as anything that, that this would countenance. Uh, and, and, and that would have really tested whether newspapers really are sort of uh, committed to, to running stories that are only in the public interest. A lot of it seems to come down as well, Jake, to the fact that the judge in the Court of Appeal was someone who worked in family law and really took the argument that the couple involved had children and therefore the children would be dragged into it if this went public. They didn't seem to consider so much the argument about whether or not uh, this famous person had previously talked about whether they had an open relationship or not. They were looking at the fact that children were involved. Does that then mean that if you're a celebrity and you've got children and you're playing away from home, you can always wheel them out now whenever you take an injunction out? You're exempt from these kind of stories. They they shouldn't be written about you. I mean, the story has become the injunction, hasn't it? It is about that now. And that's the problem with these injunctions, is they they make people more intrigued and more interested. Well, people go and seek it out. Yeah, and also it's reported on even more so than it would be if you just let it come out and then it's it's gone after a week. And and, and actually, this celebrity in question saying that this story would have a devastating stating impact on them. Actually, it wouldn't. No. I mean, it really wouldn't. I don't think anyone is going, oh my goodness, that is it now. I don't like this celebrity anymore. I just don't think, I think it's nonsense. So actually, there is a case for not taking these expensive injunctions because they only end up badly and they increase the interest. Uh, it's, you know, it's slightly preposterous that it's all over the internet and uh, you know, a famous blogger who's well known to many of your listeners, I'm sure, has written about it twice this week. Let's talk about another big story from the week, which on first sight isn't a media story, but I suppose how it got into the press kind of is. Uh, and that's the, the massive leak that we saw of 11.5 million files uh, from the world's fourth biggest law firm, uh, Mossack Fonseca, uh, which has implicated more than 140 politicians. Now, the data about all of that, tax affairs basically, was leaked to a German newspaper and then shared globally by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, uh, Tom, I imagine you'd be happy if you received this kind of data in your inbox one day. Uh, but would you be? I think, con- my, I think my emails would crash. <laughs> but would you be concerned about where that leak had come from? People are saying, you know, a lot of papers publish this information without asking. Yeah, I mean, that's not my decision, is it? The reporter, you've got to give give all you have to your editor and then see see where it goes from there. But but wouldn't you worry about why it had been sent to you or why it had been leaked? Well, or not, what role I mean, not you after were playing. the Snowden stuff. I mean, you know, there's plenty of people who exist in the world who want to, uh, who want to, for you could argue for the good of the world, or, or they're, they're they're terrible in breach of security. For whatever reason they do it, they want that information out there. Every, everyone has an agenda yeah. for leaking a story, no, no matter how big or small. I think you you make a decision based on whether you think that's you know, whether you think the information is good and legitimate, rather than the reasons for the leak. Actually, Jake, from your point of view, actually, at Broadcast, um, now we've seen the Prime Minister and the Chancellor and the Leader of the Opposition publish their tax returns. Do you think we're going to see that kind of openness being suggested? I mean, probably not at commercial organisations, but at the BBC. You can imagine the next DG might have to publish their tax return. Quite possibly. And to be fair to the BBC, it's very transparent about its own accounts. Um, That kind of scrutiny ever did enter the TV industry and affected the BBC. I think it would only go as far as the Director General. And there are very few people who do that job. I mean, I suppose in a way it is sort of a political role, isn't it? Yeah. Completely, yeah. yeah. You've got to be a political animal to so do that job. Sort of That's why he brought in James Fennell as his number two. Yeah. He needed that, that, that hand-holding through the corridors of power. 
It's incredibly dull, this, isn't it? I mean, it, I've got to say, this whole, the whole story is incredibly dull. And, like, I mean, I'm just waiting for politicians to go, you know what? No, I ain't publishing my tax return. It's none of your business. Because it isn't. It's a complete diversionary tactic by David Cameron, frankly. Well, I'll tell you what is exciting and diversionary. Saturday Night TV. Oh, lovely segue. Yes. And we'll be talking about that next. Uh, after I say thank you very much to everybody who has already taken out a voluntary subscription, uh, which is thereby allowing us to continue to produce this magnificent podcast for you every fortnight. If you haven't sponsored us already, please do. Uh, take a look at themediapodcast.com slash dedicate uh, and support us there by taking out a subscription or donate a lump sum. Uh, in return, a future episode will be dedicated in your name. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now, here in the UK, the daffodils have sprung, the Easter bunnies are fat on chocolate. I think that's how it works. Uh, and the days have got longer. Summer seems just around the corner. So what better time, Jake Cantor, to think about what we'll be watching on TV in the run-up to Christmas? <laughs> of course. Yeah. It gets earlier every year, doesn't it? It does. Uh, but that is the conundrum facing producers at the BBC at the moment because the final edition of The Voice received its lowest audience ever, uh, 4.5 million viewers. They got 7.1 million in 2012 uh, and was beaten by the return of Britain's Got Talent on ITV. Uh, fronted by Anton Deck. Fiscal affairs again, Tom, you'll enjoy this. Oh, lovely. Uh, who, thanks to records at Company's House, we know made £3 million each last year. Uh, from their exclusive contract Worth with every penny, ITV. Genuinely. Uh, well, all right. Let's, He's not let's, even yeah. being insincere when he says that. Let's no, talk I, about, I do mean it. Let's talk about that because, Jake, Anton Deck's contract expires in November. They are propping up ITV's biggest shows. Could they move elsewhere? Well, there have been reports that they might move elsewhere. Uh, they've even made noises about companies like Netflix. But ultimately, they won't. Uh, ITV is their heartland. It's where they do their best work. And I would be gobsmacked if they left. Absolutely gobsmacked. I, I couldn't imagine an Anton Deck Netflix show. I mean, I, I don't know how that would work. Well, I mean, they might be given more flexibility to dabble in other genres potentially I mean they've talked quite a long time about doing a scripted comedy yeah um, the new contract might reflect that ambition it's an interesting time for Saturday Night Entertainment just to go back to your original thought yeah. because ITV is really mixing things up they've poached the voice which has had a croaky end to life on uh, BBC One but I'm sure B uh, I'm sure ITV will uh, breathe some fresh life into it They've also made uh, a series of changes behind the scenes. So Kevin Ligo's come in as a director of television and he has this week named Shu Green as his head of entertainment. 
Uh, she is a former psycho entertainment boss, so she's got good relationships with Simon Cow. Uh, she used to run shows like Saturday Night Takeaway. She's got those relationships. Uh, she will be well placed to come up with the next big hit. And there's a couple of things coming down the track on ITV. Really interesting acquisitions from America. Oh, go on. Uh, one called Little Big Shots. Uh-huh. Uh, which was announced last week. Let me guess, children. It's children. Compete against each other in a physical game show. (laughs) Sort of. Children do a performance. They showcase one of their skills. And then they do an interview about it. It's really simple. And it's been an absolute smash hit on NBC in America. But things are right for invention, I think. And we're due a big entertainment hit. New breakthrough hit. And Dermot O'Leary is uh, returning to the X Factor uh, because... Frankly, the getaway car thing he was doing on BBC One was terrible, and uh, Ollie Mers and Caroline Frank were, uh, were terrible. So uh, never go back is what I say. But really? anyway, um, unless they pay you a million quid a year, in which case <laughs> yeah. do go back very quickly. But the getaway car's not done yet. They're sort of resting it mid-series. Uh, it's made way for uh, the equally brilliant. Can't touch this. Yeah, that's a good title at least. Yes, it is. Yeah. Although I'm not sure the concept quite holds it. It's it's odd because it's sort of filmed in this shed in Northern Ireland without a TV audience, <laughs> mm. and uh, it's all. A bit cold. In fairness though, Saturday has had a big turnaround. If you look back 10 years, people were saying Saturday Night Telly was dead, it was never going to again reach the heights of Beatles About and Noel's House Party. It absolutely is the centrepiece of ITV's schedule now, isn't it? What happens on and Sunday drama, I guess, but you know, Saturday night is where it's at, and you know, in, TV's in a sense, not dead. Plaudits to Simon Cowell for that, even if you hate everything else that he represents. He's got a big job to do, though, to to keep both Britain's Got Talent and X Factor healthy, and they're renewing that contract this year, so uh, there may well be some changes in 2017. Yeah, uh, but let's talk a little bit more about the BBC and the internal workings there, because they've lost some of their high-profile creative names behind the scenes. Peter Salmon to the indie Endemol Shine, uh, and now the head of drama Polly Hill has gone to ITV, reportedly, Jake, for twice the salary. Uh, It was gobsmacking, I think. People were genuinely surprised. Uh, Heading up drama at the BBC is considered to be one of the best jobs in TV, let alone drama. Uh, So for her to head to ITV, she must have been sold in a pretty compelling package. Is it short-sighted of her, do you think? Um, I think time will tell. I think she's got good relationships with production companies who make shows like Poldark, Wolf Hall... Uh, night manager and if she can make those relationships work at ITV then she'll be fine Uh, she's talked about shows like Prime Suspect being big influence on her career so if she tries to repeat some of that success then she'll take ITV in a really good direction I'm sure Um, but to go back to your point about the BBC uh, it's either clumsy or completely incompetent for them to have lost this many senior people in such a short space of time. We're now in a situation where BBC Television is without a permanent controller of drama, entertainment and factual at what is a critical time for the BBC. And everyone's waiting for this big organisational review which Tony Hall is going to unveil, uh, we think, in the next couple of months. And uh, without getting too boring, he's going to radically reorganise the BBC around genres rather than platforms like television or online or radio. On to some news now, as in a news channel. Al Jazeera America closed this month after just two and a half years on air. The US outpost of the Qatar-based Al Jazeera spent more than 300 million quid acquiring Al Gore's current TV in 2012. It doesn't massively surprise me, does it you, Tom, that Al Jazeera struggled to find traction in America, where I think if you ask the man in the street if they've heard of Al Jazeera at all, they'd still associate them with Iraq 
and their coverage of, of Al-Qaeda. Well, exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what happens here in the UK. They've just invested a lot of money in a big new studio at the Shard. And they'll be looking at the decision in the US and thinking, oh, God, I wonder if that's going to affect us here. I mean, I, st- I think there is still something of a reputational problem for Al Jazeera even here. And they've been here for years now reporting quality stuff in English showing that they can, you know, employ journalists from the best news organisations and be impartial and and do international news. And still people kind of sort of lump them together with Russia Today and Press TV as these... Well, that's harsh, isn't it? But they do. Uh, Associating something with Russia Today. I've never seen that. Terrible. I think, you know, generally people think, oh, this is a a news channel with an agenda rather than reflecting what Al Jazeera are trying to project, which is that they don't. So what have they done wrong then? Not not, not good enough PR? I think that might be it, Not good enough marketing? You know, stop investing here? in loads of journalism <laughs> and, and invest in a bit of decent PR and a bit of decent marketing. Okay, right. Uh, Ofcom has allowed London Live, uh, the local TV station for London, to reduce the amount of first-run programming they are showing in peak time. Uh, Jake, I imagine your strong feelings on this uh, might well revolve around the fact that they've completely redefined what first-run programming means, haven't they? Well, there's that, which is quite complicated, and I'm not entirely sure. Oh, go on. We should go, go on. Do, do, do the, um, the broad version. I think, no, fundamentally, though, this is a reduction in the local programming, and it is a complete change to the uh, agreements and the commitments that these stations made at the point that they won their licenses. It's a, you know, it's a significant watering down of their local content. Well, let's be clear. When, when they launched, they're called London Live because they're supposed to be, you know, rather like BBC London or LBC, a live talk station about London. That was the concept. It's now going to be an hour a day. But they always in had... In peak, in peak. In peak. They yeah. always had, didn't they, alongside that, they always had reruns of things set in London, like London's Burning and Peep Show. Which that, count towards that now their counts overall. Yeah, because their it's overall first aim. run on their channel. That's that is ridiculous. Right. It, it, it is ridiculous. I mean, I've asked Ofcom about this. I've TV, asked them it? about it, and they said that we've made these changes because we need to give the licensees flexibility. Uh, local TV is still in its infancy. These companies are still finding out what's working and what's not, and we need to give them the flexibility to make sure that when things do work, that they can carry on with them. But your point is true. The perception is is as much is as important as the actual content you know the con- the local content that they're claiming is local but i suppose tom we are in the state that we're in now aren't we you know this is the situation as it is the lebedevs do own it ofcom do regulate it at least this way it has a fighting chance of surviving well they weren't the only horse in town were they so ultimately if you're doing something as a competition that someone's going to win and you set some regulations whereby they are they give you the the license on so long as you adhere to those then you should adhere to those if not let someone else have a go who might And so it is that we turn to what some people call the highlight and others call the media podcast quiz. Uh, With injunctions back in the news, this week we are playing a round of... We've had a lot of leaks at the media podcast office this week, and whilst buckets can catch the worst of the drips, some splashes just need to be exposed. So, fingers on buzzers, buzzing with your name. Tom, you will say... Tom. Jake, you will say... Jake. Beautiful. Uh, We're looking for the redacted word in the following sentences... The winner receives a paddle, the loser gets a mop. Here is question number one. Boris Johnson's tax return has exposed the value of his... Jake. Jake. Telegraph column? Words for his telegraph column? (laughs) 
Uh, I'll accept words. Writing was the word I was looking for. Right. But I'll, ex- I'll accept writing, yes. Five pounds a word. That's right. Well, you know the story. Boris Johnson could be getting as much as five or a word for his Telegraph. Worth column, every penny, don't uh, you think? As calculated by Jonathan Walker, the political editor of the Birmingham Post and Mail. This is because he had to submit his tax return. We find, how much is he earning in total from the Telegraph? It's pretty astonishing, 250 isn't it? grand, isn't it? 250 and he, grand. And he does yeah. one a week or something? And I get that for the media podcast, and I just do it fortnightly. I've got to say, I, I once found the, a contract of a uh, News of the World uh, columnist. This sounds like a good story. Quite I'm not prepared dull, to interrupt. Quite a dull one. Uh-huh. And they were on £220,000 a year. Wow. And it wasn't even very good. Here's question number two. Stephen Nolan trapped his in a door last week. Jake. Jake. His chair. Correct. Uh, which, are there only three questions? Yes, it means, Jake, you've won the Oh, no, in that already. case, let me answer it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's still all you to play Jeopardy. for. Yes, Jake, you are right. That This is the story that Stephen Nolan was recording in a self-op studio at Five Live uh, when he managed to wedge his chair against the door handle, trapping himself inside for 35 minutes. Here is what would be the tiebreaker if Tom had been better. It's question number three, uh, and it's this. Waitrose to live stream from a shed until the come home. Tom. Yes, Tom. A cow. Correct. Well, cows, plural. I I think, in any case, Jake wins. But according to uh, Marketing Magazine, Waitrose is to broadcast live from a GoPro-enabled cow. Uh, Live footage from the dairy farm will be shown on screens at train stations from today. Gripping. Uh, so Jake Cantor, you're the winner. That's it for today. You can find all of our previous instalments and get new ones downloaded automatically straight to your phone. Just head to themediapodcast.com, uh, which is also the place to go to support the show. We've had a, a really good response, but to be honest, we are nowhere near the 300 supporters that we need to keep this podcast properly independent and on the air. Uh, nonetheless, amongst our loyal listeners who have dug deep, thank you, a special thank you uh, to Colin Dowling, who is still a snow-loving, downtrodden transmission controller for Scandinavia. Uh, If you like this podcast, then please show your support. It couldn't be easier. It'll take you less than three minutes when you visit themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. I've been Ollie Mann, and this has been a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. 